Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 20. And thank you again tonight. Great time of worship and praise and exalting the Lord here in the house of God. Thank you for being here on this beautiful Wednesday evening and uh, gorgeous, gorgeous day. It's been a great week and uh, thank you for inviting me to come back to Tim Mile Pastor. It's always a joy to come back to McLeansboro and Hamlin County and especially to Tim Mile uh, Baptist Church and the good people here. And uh, kind of enjoyed ourselves and uh, spending time with her uh, mom and dad, uh, Cy and Mary Hampson are here tonight. Wave at me, Cy, that's my in-laws. If you're going to have in-laws, these are the kind of in-laws you want to have right here, all right? And uh, there are some in-laws I wouldn't want to have, but these are good people, salt of the earth uh, people, and I appreciate them so very, very much. And then... Uh, uh, Connie's got an aunt here tonight. Do you have more than one aunt here tonight? Do you have one aunt here tonight? Aunt Violet, her favorite aunt. Hold up your hand there, Aunt Violet. All right, thank you so much. And uh, so we just uh, appreciate family and friends and and uh, so uh, all that uh, you've done for us this week. They gave us a humongous fruit basket, I'm telling you, things so big and overflowing with apples and oranges and bananas and cigars. Everything was in there, man. I'm, I'm telling you. And, uh, I was teasing about the bananas. All right. Somebody asked me, said, why do you say stuff like that? God has given me the gift to irritate, Pharise irritate Pharisees. And, uh, and Pharisees need to be irritated. Amen. That's my gift. So um, I hope you'll continue to pray for us, pray for our ministry. Go to our website, timlee.org. You can read there what we're doing and, and uh, see our schedule. You may have family or friends that live in an area. We'll be in Nashville next Sunday. And uh, you, may, we may have, uh, you may have folks that you know that live in an area where we're going to be speaking. And we've had people get saved like that. Their family or friends would call them and say, you need to go uh, to hear uh, this evangelist. And um, then you can also follow us on Twitter, at Marine Tim Lee. And again, I tell people that if you don't love Jesus, you don't love America, you won't enjoy following me on Twitter. You'll just get mad, all right? And I'm also on Facebook. Tim Lee Ministries has a page. And um, then we have a personal page as well that you can follow us uh, on. And um, so I hope you'll do that. Pray especially for our marine events. We've got people all over the country praying uh, for these events. We've had to miss several now because of COVID and all military bases are basically closed right now. And um, but in talking to uh, chaplains early last week, we're inclined to believe that uh, getting ready to be maybe some changes pretty soon, and uh, we're hoping we're scheduled to be at Paris Island through uh, 2024, but they've actually told me we can keep coming as long as we want to do this. And so what we do, we, we go in on uh, Saturday night. We take the chaplains and their families and the crew team members. used to be called C Campus Crusade for Christ. These are volunteers that come on Sunday morning. We'll have... 
30 to 40 of maybe even up to 50 uh, crew members that will volunteer to assist us and help us. And we take them out and uh, feed them on Saturday night to a super nice restaurant there in Beaufort, South Carolina. And our ministry pays for it all. And they don't have anybody that does anything for like that. Chaplains are really uh, underappreciated. And I realize there are some chaplains that are uh, maybe not as dedicated as others, but I've in, since we've been going there in 2013 and we go four to five times a year, we've met some tremendous chaplains who love God, who love the Bible, so winners, and are dedicated. And so we try to uh, spoil them a little bit. And then on Sunday morning, we, on Saturday evening, we also have a sound crew that comes in, and they set up this extensive sound system that. It takes, uh, uh, takes four guys. Normally it takes them four, five, six, seven hours to set it up in this 6,000-seat uh, all-weather building. And if we use their, their sound system, they wouldn't hear. It's an atrocious thing. They, they wouldn't hear half of what's uh, being said. So we do it right. We do it first class. We do everything right. And, um, and, and then on Sunday morning, we have church for an hour and a half to two hours. We've never one time been t told that we went too long. I've never one time been told that I can't say this or I have to say this. And I wouldn't do that. If they did that, then I would not be able to go. I, I told them that up front, and they agreed. We have complete liberty. We have churches, our service. We, we bring in a, a worship team from Jacksonville, Florida, Mark Ivey, one of the great worship leaders in our country today, and they bring a team from Trinity Baptist Church. Church runs about uh, 2,200, 2,500, and these are their best. They don't send their backup players and their backup singers. These are their best. You imagine a church uh, run 2,500 on Sunday morning giving up their worship team four to five times a year. And they look at it as a ministry, and that's what it is. And they come in, and Mark leads in worship and praise for 45 to 50 minutes. It's an amazing thing. You hear 3,000 Marines and Marine recruits singing 10,000 Reasons. We sang that song last night or Monday night. 10,000 Reasons, or uh, God's Not Dead. You hear them sing these worship and praise songs, it'll put goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. It's unbelievable. And then I get up and I give my story, give my testimony, and then I give a public invitation. I told them up front that I would not be interested in coming and doing all this if we could not give an invitation. I don't understand why a lot of preachers today don't want to give invitations. The last thing God does in this book is give an invitation. That's the last thing God does in the book of the Revelation. And um, so we, we, and they said that would be fine. We give a public invitation and thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands have walked out of their seats with brokenness and tears and conviction and come and give their hearts to Jesus Christ. It's been the most amazing thing. So I, I need you to pray. Number one, that they will get the uh, military bases open back up, outsiders, which they look at us as an outsider. And we'll be uh, able to go back on the base and do these services and then pray for the chaplains and pray that lost people will get saved. As far as I know, there's nothing like this going on anywhere in our military. Now, I've spoke at a lot of military bases over the years, 
and uh, I'm talking about tons of military bases here at home and overseas as well. But there's nothing of this magnitude. And it is a big deal. And I'm asking you to pray for it and put it on your prayer list and that God will continue to use these services. Somebody asked me, do you preach the same sermons everywhere you go? I've got some sermons I've been preaching for years and years and years and years. Every once in a while, I'll preach a brand new sermon. The only person that's shocked is my wife. And, um, and, uh, and, but I, I give my testimony, I don't know, 1,500 times, maybe closer to 2,000 times. I don't know. But I promised God as long as he would use it and bless it, I would give my story. And uh, this message I'm preaching tonight is a message I've preached so many, many times over the years. J. Harold Smith was a great evangelist of yesterday, preached God's three deadlines. You've never heard that sermon? Look it up online. It's one of the most powerful sermons you'll ever hear in your life. And he preached it two or 3,000 times, maybe more than that. Dr. R.G. Lee preached a message. I heard him preach it four or five times before he died called Payday Someday. One of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. And uh, others as well. It was the turn of the last century that two renowned preachers of their day, Harold Ockengay and Donald Barnhouse, had agreed to a 30-day speaking engagement. They were going to speak 30 days together in a different location each night for 30 straight days. One night, one of them would preach first, and then the next night, the other one would preach first. Every night, Harold Ockengay, a brilliant man, preached a brand new sermon. And Donna Barnhouse, every night, of course, in a different location, it's a different crowd, every night he preached the same identical sermon. Well, Harold Ockengay, sitting out there listening to this sermon night after night, being the brilliant man he was, he memorized uh, Donald Barnhouse's sermon. And, um, and on the last night of their 30-day speak, uh, speaking engagement, they were at the First Presbyterian Church of Richmond, Virginia, and Ockengay was the first speaker, and he got up that night and preached Donald Barnhouse's sermon. <laughs> Almost word for word. Well, it didn't bother Donald Barnhouse. He got up that night and preached a totally different message. It didn't cause him any trouble. They were walking out of the church together, and Ockengay was so anxious, and he said to Barnhouse, he said, the people sure did seem to enjoy your sermon that I preached here tonight. And Barnhouse said, yes, but not nearly as much as they did when I preached it here three months ago. <laughs> True story. So let me read one verse of, of uh, Revelation chapter 20, then keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at several of these uh, verses here tonight and Revelation and other books as well. Let me read this verse, verse number 11. And if you don't have a Bible, just listen carefully or you can look on someone close by you. And I, let me get my glasses out. I'm not used to this. And I didn't need my glasses last night. I had that, I had that. Those I had sermon, I had outlines all over this platform up here, man. But it was big print. I printed it out. Now I'm going to have to go back because I can't be dropping those things all over. I don't normally print my sermons that big, anyhow. But I guess I did it because I can't see anymore. But now I can see. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it. Remember, I told you last night 
God's not going to get off the throne for anybody. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, I'm going to speak to you tonight on the great white throne, judgment seat of God. Actually, there are other judgments which are yet to happen also. There's, I spoke uh, last evening or the night before about the judgment of the nations of the earth. There's Speak of, uh, spoke about the judgment of the nation of Israel. The Bible speaks concerning about the judgment of the angels even. But there are two specific judgments tonight. This judgment, the great white throne, and then for a little while we'll look in a few moments at the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody, it seems like, especially in these last days, are interested in prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is God writing history before it ever happens. Everything that God has said in this Bible that will happen has either already happened or it is happening or it is going to happen. You say, well, Tim, I don't know whether I believe all that stuff or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe it all or not. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. I saw a bumper sticker says the Bible, I believe it, that settles it. Well, that's a good bumper sticker, but the truth of the matter is, it's settled whether you and I believe it or not. It's still God's word, and it's going to happen exactly the way God said was going to happen. So what is the next great event on God's prophetic calendar? It is what we call the rapture. What is the rapture? It's the catching away of God's uh, church, of the bride of Christ. The word rapture is not actually used in the New Testament, but it simply means to be caught away, to be caught up. When is the rapture going to happen? Well, let me tell you up front that if any preacher ever tells you that they know the day and they know the hour of the Lord's return, you can mark them off as a false prophet. The Bible says no man knows the day and no man knows the hour. Now, we who are Bible-believing Christians Believe that nothing has to happen before the Lord comes back. That means he could come tonight. That means that Jesus could come while I'm preaching this sermon. If Jesus comes while I'm up here preaching, do you know what's going to happen? There's going to be an empty wheelchair on this platform. I've never been an astronaut, but one of these days I'm going to be a was-not. I'm a leaving out of here. But listen to this. In the first part of his second coming, he's not coming back to the earth. But rather, he's coming in the clouds. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. How's it going to happen? The Bible said a trumpet is going to sound. And then the Bible said that Jesus himself should ascend from heaven with a shout. I told you last night. You don't like shouting. You better get used to it. If you're going to heaven, there's going to be shouting on the hills of glory. And Jesus would ascend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. And then the Bible said that the dead in Christ shall rise first. How come they get to go first? They got six feet further to go than you and I have. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, shall be raptured to meet him in the air. What are we going to do with the Lord in the air? Two great events are going to happen for we believers. The uh, 
the the uh, the, the supper, the great the la- the great supper in in the, uh, heaven is, uh, with the Lord is going to happen. We I've never met a Baptist yet didn't like to eat. We're going to have the uh, greatest meal that there's ever been with the Lord in the air, and then the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, Tim, is this important? Well, let me come back to it in just a few moments. But let's go back to the earth for a second. What's going to happen to all the people who are left behind when Jesus comes back? They tell us that there are approximately seven and a half billion people living on this small planet called Earth. Seven and a half billion. That's mind-boggling. Con and I were in the Philippines in 1983, and Mr. Aquino, the president, had been assassinated, and they had his funeral there in Manila, and they showed on the television, and they estimated over 2 million people were gathered in the streets of Manila. It was mind-boggling to see all those people gathered in one place, but on this little planet called Earth tonight, there are 7.5 billion people. I heard a Christian commentator say that he thought perhaps 20% of the earth's population was Christian. Now, I personally do not believe the figure's that high. But let's take that for a hypothetical situation. Let's say that 20% of the earth's population right now is Christian. That means when the Lord comes back that 80% of the earth's population is going to be left behind. What's going to happen to them? Well, there's going to be tribulation like this earth has never seen before. The Bible describes a period of seven years of tribulation. The last three and a half years are known as great tribulation. You say, but Tim, you don't understand. I've already suffered tribulation on this earth. You've not suffered anything like you're going to suffer if you don't get saved by the grace of God. I want you to go with me back to the book of 2 Thessalonians for just a moment and chapter number 2. Turn with me and I'll give you a moment to find it. And if you don't have a Bible, just listen very carefully. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me begin reading at verse number 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live tonight? The Holy Spirit lives in the life of the believer. Every believer has the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. Now, when we leave here, guess what? The presence of the Holy Spirit as we know it today will be no more. We're out of here and the Holy Spirit leaves as well in the way that we know it now. And then, look at verse number 8, and then, after the Holy Spirit is gone, then shall that wicked be revealed. Now this is a reference to the Antichrist. The wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Look at verse 9. Even him, whose coming is after the working of Satan. This is the Antichrist. With all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, why do they perish? The very next sentence tells you why. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
verse number 11. And for this cause, what cause? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Verse number 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Tonight, friend, you have an opportunity to hear the truth. Tonight, you have an opportunity to respond to the truth. And tonight, you will have an opportunity to receive the truth. But if you say no to the truth, and you're left behind when the trumpet sounds, and you're here on the earth during this tribulation period, the Bible says that in that day, rather than to believe the truth, that you would rather believe a lie. And I want to tell you, friend, after seeing how gullible some people are about some things on this earth today, it is so easy to see how the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and deceive people. And the Bible said that people would rather believe the Antichrist than to receive the truth. Wow. There will be bloodshed like this earth has never seen before. There will be war like has never been seen before. There will be famine that would make Somalia look like a Sunday school picnic. And, and, and why? Listen to me tonight. Why would you want to go through all of that? Tell me. Why would you want to go through all that when you could get saved tonight and leave here when the trumpet sound? It just makes a whole lot more sense. Why? Hey, even if you could get saved during the tribulation, you can. You can't get saved during the tribulation. You say, well, there will be people saved during the tribulation. Absolutely, there will be, but you won't be one of them. Why? Because you would rather, you've already had an opportunity to hear the truth and respond to the truth and receive the truth. And in that day, you would rather believe a lie than to hear the truth and to receive the truth. And you, why would you want to be left behind? You couldn't get saved, but even if you could get saved, listen to this, you get your head chopped off. Those who refuse the mark of the beast, either in the forehead or in the hand, will be forced out of existence. You won't be able to buy, you won't be able to sell. I happen to believe that, that there will be, I know there's going to be, the Bible says a world government's going to come on the scene. And I happen to believe that probably even right now, as we're sitting in this church tonight, that there is a formation of it happening right now. I believe the Lord's return is imminent. I believe the Lord is coming soon. I believe the trumpet could sound tonight, and I don't know about you, but I'm ready for it. Why would you want to go through all that? You couldn't get saved, but even if you could, you'd die a martyr's death. Why would you want to go through all that when you can get saved tonight and leave here when the trumpet sounds? Just makes a great deal more sense to get saved now. What's going to happen after the tribulation? The Bible says, well, let's go back and look at it. Look at Revelation chapter number 20 again. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. And, um, I, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. There's four names in that verse that is given to the fallen angel Lucifer. He's called the dragon. He's called the old serpent. He's called the devil. And he's called Satan. And all four names fit him perfectly. 
and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for the day when the devil's going to be shut up. He's going to be shut up for a thousand years. Then what's going to happen? Then our Lord is going to come back to this earth. How's he coming? The Bible says that he's coming riding on a white horse. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a baby in a manger. He came as a lamb to be led to the slaughter. He came to hang upon an old rugged cross between heaven and earth. And on that cross, he shed his blood. And on that cross, he died. And then three days later, he got up from the grave. But friend, when Jesus comes the next time to this earth, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's not coming as a lamb to be led to the slaughter. He's not coming to hang on an old rugged cross. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem to rule and to reign upon this earth for 1,000 glorious years. He said, well, Tim, what are we going to be doing? We're coming back with him. How are we getting here? We're riding horses too. He said, I don't like to ride a horse. You better go take some riding lessons. You're going to be riding a horse on that day. Well, what are we going to do for a thousand years? That depends. A while ago, I mentioned the judgment seat of Christ. And I said, we'll come back to it in a moment. Here we are. The judgment seat of Christ, listen to me tonight, Christian friend, you and I will never ever be judged for our salvation. That was taken care of at Calvary. And the very moment that you believed it was settled for all eternity, you will never ever be judged for your salvation. But we will be judged, not for our salvation, but for what we did after we were saved. For the deeds done into the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And the Bible speaks in Matthew chapter 25 when it talks about the kingdom of God on this earth, that millennial ring of Christ. It repeatedly says that if you've been faithful in a few things, you should be made ruler over many things. It's hard today to get people to be faithful to the things of God, faithful to church faithful to prayer, faithful to the word of God, faithful to giving, faithful to witnessing. But the Bible says if you're faithful in a few things, you should be made ruler over many things. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but friend, there will be people who I believe are genuinely saved, but the Bible says they're saved as so as by fire. And what that means is they got saved and they genuinely got born again. But then they didn't do anything, anything for God after they were saved. And I believe during that thousand-year millennial ring, they'll sit on a shelf and collect dust. There'll be no position, there'll be no place. For you've got to be faithful. Don't you want to rule and reign with our Lord for that thousand-year millennial ring of Christ? That's what, you ever wonder why preachers preach so much about dedication and consecration and separation and living for God and making your life count for Jesus? We will stand and give an account to God someday for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Then what's going to happen? Well, at the end of that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, the Bible says Satan 
is going to be loosed out of his prison for a little season. Pastor, I don't understand it. And I've asked so many people that are a whole lot smarter than me, and they don't understand it either. Why? Will he be loosed out of his prison? I don't know. Except God said so. And then he will be conquered and defeated for the last and the final time. And that brings me to where we need to be tonight. There's a first resurrection. It's for the believer. There's going to be a second resurrection. Who is it that's going to stand at this great white throne that we read about in verse number 11? Every atheist that ever denied Christ. Every agnostic that ever denied Christ. Every liberal that ever denied Christ. Every murderer who ever denied Christ. Every drug addict whoever denied Christ, every drunkard, whoever denied Christ, every prostitute, whoever denied Christ, every liar, whoever denied Christ, every cheat that ever denied Christ. And listen to this one. Every good and decent and moral person that ever denied Christ, he said, but Tim, you don't understand. I'm a good person. God would not send a good person like me to hell. First of all, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. And then the second place is, you're not really all that good. The Bible says so. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. The Bible says that our goodness, our righteousness, our goodness are as filthy rags in the sight of this holy God. And besides that, if you're all that good, why would Jesus need to die? He died because you're not all that good. You're a sinner. And tonight you need a Savior. There's going to be a first resurrection. There's going to be a second resurrection. There's going to be a first judgment. It's for the believer. There's going to be a second judgment. It is for the unbeliever. And, and what is this judgment? It's called the great white throne. Where will this great white throne judgment take place? We don't know. The Bible says heaven and earth fled, fled away and there was found no room for them. But there's going to be a literal white throne. And the Lord himself will sit upon that throne. And I need all the Christians in the room to listen carefully now. We're going to be at the judgment. Not to be judged, but to watch the judgment. And I've got news for you. It's not going to be all the shouting and hullabaloo that some people think that it's going to be for Christians. As a matter of fact, on that day there will be weeping. And there will be tears. And there will be sorrow. You say, well, Tim, I thought God wiped away all that. Look at chapter number 21, Revelation 21. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, and neither sorrow nor crying, and neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You say, Tim, it says plainly there's no more tears, there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, no more pain. Everything that happens in chapter 21 chronologically happens after chapter 20. After the great white throne, then there's no more pain, then there's no more tears. But what's going to happen on that day? What will it be like? For a wife to see her husband brought before the great white throne and for God to say to him, depart from me. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And what would it be like for a husband to see his wife and for God to say, I never knew your mom and dad to see their son or daughter or a son and daughter to see their mom and dad to say, God say, I never knew you, depart from me. Oh, there'll be tears on that day. But they'll be too late. I was preaching in Cartersville, Georgia. And on a weeknight, I was preaching on my least favorite subject in all the Bible. I was preaching on the subject of hell. Truth of the matter is, I would rather preach about anything than to preach about hell. A lot of preachers have quit preaching about hell. But that doesn't take away the fact that hell is still a reality. And that night I was preaching on hell. And right in the middle of my message, a a grown man back on the right-hand side of the back, back part of the building began to cry out loud. Everyone could hear this man crying. And I, I, I'm thinking while I'm preaching, this man's under conviction. He may even come while I'm preaching to get, to get saved, and he'll surely be the first one to come when the invitation's given. But instead, when the invitation started, he left. I was distraught. I thought we'll probably never see him again. The service is over. The pastor and I and a handful of others remain down front talking and fellowshipping and a side door opened over to this side of the auditorium and this man came in. He was still crying. He was a big man. He came over to where I was at. He looked at me and said, can I talk to you? And I took him over and I'm thinking, I'm going to get to lead this man to, to Christ. But he, he told me that he was already a believer. He told me I was already a Christian. And then he told me a story. He and his family had attended a great Bible-believing church. He was an independent businessman. And all of a sudden, he began to make more money than he had ever dreamed of making. He was making money hand over fist. And after a while, this is his story. They started taking these weekend trips and going to the beach and going other places. And the then after a while, they started going every weekend. At, they were out of church. They, people would come by to visit them. They would tell them, look, we're coming back. One day, the pastor went to visit them, and they got mad. He got mad at the pastor, ran him off, told him not to come back. And this grown man, weeping and telling this story, said, two weeks ago tomorrow, we buried my 16-year-old son, was killed in a truck wreck. And he said, for two weeks, I haven't been able to eat. I haven't been able to sleep. I haven't been able to work. 
Because he said, I don't know whether my son went to heaven or whether he went to hell. And this big guy standing in front of me reached out and put his hands on my shoulders and he began to shake me. And he cried out loud several times, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the sad thing about it was he couldn't do anything. The moment his son took his last breath, his destination was settled for all of eternity. I've, I've heard people at the funeral home looking at the person in the casket and wondering out loud whether they were a Christian or not. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the wrong time to be wondering. Now's the time to wander. Now's the time to pray. Now's the time to weep. Now's the time to hand out a gospel tract. Not after they're dead and gone. It won't do them a bit of good. There's going to be a second resurrection. There's going to be a second judgment. There must be a judge. Who is this one that's worthy to sit on this throne? Not but one. The Lord himself. Now, I need anyone in this room right now that is not 1,000% for sure that you're a Christian. If you have a shred of a doubt, I need you to listen to me now. Tonight, Jesus Christ stands as a Savior of the world. Full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, full of compassion. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. And tonight, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter what your past has in it. If you will come to Jesus tonight, he will forgive you of all your sins. He'll wash them away as white as snow as we sang about a little while ago. He'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. He'll cast them into the depths of the sea never to be remembered against you. Tonight, you can leave this room saved. And on your way to heaven. But if you say no. And you're standing at the great white throne judgment seat of God. It's not going to be love. And grace. And mercy. It's going to be judgment day. As a story. Was told it was a judge in a large city. A judge was taken a a walk, a leisure walk, and as he walked, he crossed over a bridge. As he crossed that bridge, he heard a cry from down below. It was a cry of someone in trouble. And the judge, not thinking of his own safety, dove to the waters below, and there was a young man, a 17-year-old boy, that was about to drown. The judge in heroic effort began to fight and swim and pull that young man toward the shore. Crowds gathered to see what the commotion was and finally the judge reached the land and the young man's life was spared. The crowd clapped and cheered. The young man hugged the judge's neck and thanked him again and again for having saved his life. It was four years later. In that same city, that judge was in his courtroom a jury had found a man guilty of a horrendous crime against society. And now the judge 
was to make the sentence. Courtroom was filled that day. Silence filled that room and they waited for the judge to make the sentence. The judge looked at that man and said, because of the nature of your crime, I must sentence you to die in the electric chair. There was an outburst in the courtroom. The man standing in front of that judge began to cry and weep and plead. And he said to that judge, he said, sir, don't you remember me? And the judge didn't remember him. Hundreds of faces every year came before that judge. And the man weeping and crying said, four years ago, you saved my life. You kept me from drowning. Now, surely you wouldn't sentence me to die. Silence again filled that courtroom. They waited to see what the judge would say, and these are the words that he spoke. On that day, I was your Savior. Today, I'm your judge. Tonight, Jesus Christ stands full of love and grace and mercy and compassion, not willing that any should perish. But if you say no, if you slam the door in God's face, if you turn your back on this great salvation, on that day, he will be your judge. There must be a price. There must be a penalty. There must be a, a, a price to be paid. Where's the first resurrection? There's a second resurrection. There's a first judgment. There's a, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. There's a second judgment called the great white throne. There's the judge. We oftentimes refer to him as a second Adam. The Bible more appropriately refers to him as the last Adam. So what is the price? Go back to Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What is this penalty called? It's called the second death. I've got great news for the believers in the room tonight. I've got great news for those who have been saved. If you've been born twice, you're only going to die once. But I got bad news for those who have never been saved. If you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. It's the second death that you should be so concerned and so consumed with tonight. What is the second death? The Bible describes it as a lake which burneth with fire. The Bible says it's a place where the smoke of their torments ascendeth up forever and ever. The Bible says it's a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. The Bible said the rich man in hell lift up his eyes and seeth Abraham afar off and cried and said, and Lazarus in his bosom and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. Today, Preachers have almost air-conditioned hell. They make it sound like it's not so bad. Some have even quit believing that there is a hell. You know our Lord had more to say in his earthly ministry about this subject of hell than he had to say about heaven because broad is the road that leads to destruction and many there be that go in there at. People make jokes about hell. 
Friend, you, you need to believe this tonight. You need to understand, if you knew what hell was really like tonight, you would not want your worst enemy to go to hell. You really wouldn't. I've heard people in, in joke and say, oh, go to hell. You don't even know what that means when you say it. And they, they laugh and, they, and they, they, they use other words. I was in a, I was in a grocery store and a checkout line, and it was, it was raining hard outside. It was raining real hard. And the guy says to his wife, they look to be fairly educated people, and he says to his wife, it's raining like hell outside. Well, how dumb is that? I've been to the northern part of the United States in the wintertime, and I've heard educated people say, it's cold in hell outside. How stupid is that? Some religions teach that there is no such place called hell. They might as well lock arms with you and lead you straight into hell. Other people teach that, that only 144,000 are going to go to heaven. Look up here. Look up here. Right now, in heaven, there's a mansion being built with my name on it. I don't have any proof of this, but I'd like to believe that my granddaughter and my mom and dad are getting my Helping get my mansion ready. I, you say, I don't believe that. I don't care whether you believe it or not. I like it, so you just leave me alone. So that leaves 143,999. How many of you plan on going with me? Hold up your hand tonight. Well, that narrows it down some more. Others teach that there's a place called purgatory. And if enough is prayed and if enough is paid, then you can get out. Friend, you can take this Bible in my hand tonight and you can spend the next 20 years studying it word for word, verse for verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. You will find no remote description of any place called purgatory in all this Bible. This doesn't exist. It's a false hope. It does not exist. You see... Some people just want to make people feel a little better. But you know what we need tonight? We need the truth. And this is the truth tonight. Hell. You know what I believe? I believe that the worst thing about hell, there's a lot of bad things about hell. A lot of horrible things. But I believe that the worst thing about hell tonight, go back to the book of 2 Thessalonians again, is the fact that there is no hope. There's no hope in hell. Go back to Chapter number 1, 2 Thessalonians, I'm finding it too, and uh, verse number 9, I believe it is. No, that's not it. I'm finding it, just stick with me. It's in here. And here we go. Chapter 1, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And verse number eight, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse number nine, are you ready? Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction? from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And the key word in verse number nine is the word everlasting. 
Where else do we find that word? John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just as a believer will be in the presence of God in this beautiful place called heaven forever and ever and ever, the unbeliever will be in a horrible, horrible place called hell, separated from God, Forever and ever and ever. If you could go to hell for, for five years, and then at the end of five years you could get out, it would be horrible. It would be terrible. But there would always be hope that it's going to end. If you could go to hell for 500 years, and you could get out of hell in 500 years, it would be horrible. It would be terrible. But you would always have the hope that someday it would end. If you could go to hell for 50,000 years, at the end of 50,000 years, you could get out. It would be most horrible. It would be terrible. But you would always know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You would always know that it's going to end. There's a, there's a hope. Friend, listen to me tonight. I think the worst thing about hell is the fact that there's no hope. You say, well, Tim, again, I just don't believe a God of love. And this God of mercy would, would send people to hell. That's where you've got it wrong. He doesn't. Send people to hell. People choose. God's done everything in his power to keep you out of hell. He gave his only son to die on an old rugged cross so you could be saved and be his child and spend all of eternity. He's given us the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. He's given us the word of God to give us warning. He's given us preachers to preach the truth. Friend, he's done everything to keep you out of hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell tonight. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to spend all of eternity with him in this beautiful place called heaven. Oh, but you don't understand. I've got family and friends that I'm pretty sure are in hell. I want to be with my family and friends. You don't want to be with your family and friends in hell. There's no love in hell. There's no big family reunions in hell. There's suffering. There's anguish. There's pain. There's separation. I beg you. I plead with you. If this was the last message I would ever preach in my whole life, I would know tonight that I told you the truth. If you were to die tonight on your way home and the pastor called me and told me someone in this room tonight on the way home was in a horrible accident and they were killed, I would know tonight when I put my head on the pillow that I told you the truth. If it was a foggy night, a horrible foggy night, and I heard and by, by word of mouth that someone had told me that you were getting ready to go down a certain road and I knew that 
that there had been a horrible flood and there was a bridge on that road that had been washed out and, and they, that, that they had not had a chance yet to erect barriers and, and nobody there to warn anybody, but I knew about it. Would I be your friend if I didn't tell you? I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you that. I'm your friend tonight. I care about you. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I want you to be safe. So tonight as I close, in case you're not hearing what I'm saying, I need you to understand this clearly. Being a member of a church won't take you to heaven. Being a member of any church won't take you to heaven. Baptist, I'm a Baptist. Pastor's a Baptist. But being a Baptist won't take you to heaven. Being a Methodist won't take you to heaven. Being a Presbyterian won't take you to heaven. Being a Church of Christ will not take you to heaven. Being a Assembly of God will not take you to heaven. Being a Catholic will not take you to heaven. There's only one way. And Jesus is that way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say I'm one of many ways or one of some way, or he said I'm the way. And that's the truth. Being baptized will not take you to heaven. You'd be baptized in every baptistry in the state of Illinois, in every pond, in every lake, in every river, in the state of Illinois, and still die and go to hell. Being baptized will not take you. Doing good works will not take you to heaven. You could do good deeds and good works every day of your life for a hundred straight years. It would not be enough to take you to heaven. Only one way. Only one. And that's Jesus. God loves you tonight. He doesn't want you to be separated from him. He wants you to be saved. And this could be the greatest day of your life. If you'd say yes, would you bow your heads tonight? I'm going to ask that no one leave, no one disturb anyone unless it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, then we get it. We understand. But I want you to do me a favor if you'll just draw an imaginary circle around yourself right where you're at. No one to the right, no one to the left, just you and me and God. For a moment, I'm going to ask you something. I want you to be honest. Don't raise your hand because you've always raised it. Don't raise your hand because someone around you raises theirs. But because you're being 100% honest, how many would say tonight, Tim, I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I do not have one single doubt that if I were to die right now, or if the trumpet was to sound right now, if the trumpet was to sound right now, and Jesus was to call his bride home, Tim, I know, that I would go to heaven. I've been saved. I remember the day when conviction came to my life. I realized I was a sinner. I repented of my sins. I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm saved tonight, and I am not the least bit ashamed of it. No one looking. Let me see your hand tonight. Being honest with God, just put your hand up for a moment. Wow. You can take them down. As, as a great sight to behold. To know, to know, that, that brings peace, friend. Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? If you could not raise your hand, 
In a moment, I want you to let me pray for you. But before I do that, how many of those of you that raised your hand tonight would say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian, but the truth of the matter is, I haven't been doing much to take others to heaven with me. Tim, I've got a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, a teacher that I'm pretty sure if they die like they are, they're not going to go to heaven. And I don't want them to go to this place called hell. And I want God to use me to help bring people to Jesus. Let me see your hands tonight. All over this room. All over the building. You can take them down. Now, friend, we'll be honest. You get upset with me, you get angry at me. But if you're a Christian, and you're saved, but you could not say that I've got family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers that are going to go to hell and I want a burden for them, then something is spiritually wrong in your life. For real. This is why our world is rushing to hell tonight. Much of the church don't care. We don't have a burden. We're not weeping over our family and our friends and our neighbors. Christian friends tonight, here's what I want you to do. We'll do it a little different tonight. I'm going to ask you to come and stand. Not now, but when we sing. Every one of you that just raised your hand that you want God to use you to help bring people to Jesus. And you've got a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, or anyone that you're burdened about. I want you to come and stand here tonight in front of me. We're going to pray together. Face me. We're going to pray together. This way we're going to end our crusade. We could see a great harvest of souls in the next several weeks at Tim Mile Baptist Church and other churches that are represented here tonight. If we would do business with God, when I have you stand in a moment, no hesitation, but ask you to come and stand here if you're serious and you're real. Now, right before we sing, this is the most important question I could ever ask. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? I tell people all the time, you don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. You're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And it all depends upon what you do with Jesus. Let me pray for you tonight. Nobody looking but me and God. You say, Tim, the truth of the matter is, I'm not 100% for sure. If I were to die right now that I would go to heaven I could not raise my hand a while ago when all those other people did. Or I raised my hand, but Tim, being honest with you, I'm still not 100% for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven, and I certainly don't want to go to hell, and I want you to include me in that prayer. No one looking, Tim, include me. Let me see your hand tonight. Just slip it up for a moment. God bless you. You can take it down. You don't have to keep it up. Are there others? Quietly, reverently, just put your hand up. Tim, I'm not for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell and include me in that prayer. Would it be one or two others? One or two others. God bless you, sir. Anyone else at all? God bless you, sir. Two adult men and one a, a, a young adult man. Anyone else at all? Anyone else? I want you three guys to listen to me. This could be the greatest day of your entire life. 
If you'll do tonight what God wants you to do, there's going to be a lot of people coming and standing here at this altar praying for their family and friends. Christians, I want you to set the example. I want you to be the first to come, and if you'll come, it'll help lost people to come to Jesus. I don't try to make it hard for people to get saved. The hard part is done on the cross 2,000 years ago. I want people to come tonight. We're only going to sing two verses of invitation. That's all. So I want you to come with the very first word. If you were serious, I'll be waiting. You just come and stand here with the rest of these people. God is going to do something great in your life right here tonight. Would you stand to your feet? Everyone that's able to stand, begin to come already. My brother begins to sing. Sing it, Jamie, while they sing. Come on, folks. If you were serious about your family and your friends, come on right now. If you were serious, come on. Just come and stand as close as you can. Make room for these others. Just come facing me. If you were serious, come on right now. Come on, sir, this will be you and I. Come give your heart to Christ. Come on, dad. Come on, mom. Teenager, young person. Folks, if you could come on in just a little bit closer. One more verse. This is all we're singing. One more verse. Come on right now. God's speaking to your heart. God's dealing with your life. You got family. You got friends that are not saved. of God. Christians are in a prayer for attitude. There are two vital parts of this invitation. And we're going to deal with the absolute most important part first. If you have never been saved, if your life has never been changed by the power of God, remember, we're not talking about being a member of a church. We're talking about being saved. You say, well, Tim, I'm about 90% for sure that I'm a Christian. I would not hurt you for anything. You've got to believe that. But friend, if you're 90% for sure you're saved, you're 100% lost. There is no way that you could ever chance 10% that you would be separated from God forever. So this is your night. In a moment, I'm going to pray out loud. What we oftentimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. It's a prayer similar to what we pray when we invited Jesus into our life. And if you want to be saved tonight, whether you're here at the front or even still there in your seat, and you're serious about it, you're not playing church, then when I pray this prayer out loud, I want you to pray it in your heart. Know that the prayer itself will not save you. It's not repeating religious words after the evangelist. But you're coming to this place in your life to confess that you're a sinner, knowing you cannot save yourself. You're turning to the one who died for you and the one who arose from the grave for you, Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me right now? doesn't have to be these exact words, but something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sins can separate me from you forever. But tonight, 
I want to be saved. God, please forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Make me your child right now. This very moment, I am trusting Jesus Christ and him alone as my personal Savior. Take me to heaven when I die, for I am now your child. Our heads are still bowed. No one's looking. If you just now prayed that prayer in your heart when I prayed it out loud, here at the front or even there in your seat, if you prayed that prayer tonight and you meant it with your whole heart, no one else looking. Tim, I prayed that prayer with you tonight. Let me see your hand. Hold it up for a moment. Hold it up for just a moment. There's one. There's two. There's three. Keep them up for just one moment. You can take them down. There's three that I could see, there may have been some that I couldn't see the way I'm positioned right now. But church, if you're rejoicing in these three saying yes to Jesus tonight, would you give them a big hearty amen and tell them you're happy for them? Amen. 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 Our heads are still bowed. Christians are still praying. Nothing more important going. Just continue to play. I don't want to lose the spirit of this moment. Nobody else looking. Just those that Raise your hand. Nobody else, just those that raised your hand, look right up here at me for a moment. Right here, right here, right here. I want you to listen to me, and I don't know whether there's others or not, but just look at me. That's the most important prayer. You will ever pray in your entire life, listen to this, on March the 24th at exactly five minutes to eight, you said yes to Jesus Christ. And the very moment that you by faith, what did you say yes to? To the cross to the blood that was shed, to the death that was died. And then you said yes to that resurrection three days later when Jesus got up out of that grave bodily, physically, got up out of that grave for you. And now all your sins have been forgiven. Every sin you've ever committed is gone. God does not remember them. That's why the Christian life is called a new life. Right now you have a brand spanking new life in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. When you get back to your seat in a moment, I'll have you be seated. I'm going to make a brief announcement. While I'm making that announcement, I want you to find a piece of paper. I don't care what kind of paper it is. It doesn't matter. Maybe something in the seat in front of you, but just find something. Write your name, your address, your phone number, and email. And then on that piece of paper, about three times larger than any other word, I want you to write the word saved. S-A-V-E-D. I love that word. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And then when we're finished tonight, you bring it to Pastor Jacob or myself. I'll be out in the entry area. Bring it to me. And if you're, if you're not doing the social distancing thing, I'll even hug your neck. And if you're, doing, if you're not, we'll just give a high five and an air. That's fine. You can bow your heads back down. Folks, the invitation's not over. I know we've been at church a little while tonight. But I preached the truth. I told you the truth. Now there's a whole lot of people saying, I know I'm saved, but I've got family and friends and neighbors, and I really haven't had that much of a burden or concern and wept many tears over them, and I don't want them to go to hell. I want to tell you something, friend. This is important. God sees this tonight. 
And God sees your burden. But it's not just enough to, to come here and say, I want to get a burden. You got to take this burden with you tonight. You got, you got to live your life the way God wants you to live it in front of your family, in front of your friends. I know it's hard sometimes and people aggravate us and it's easy to get upset and angry. But they need to see Jesus. And the way they're going to see it is not so much in a sermon as they're going to see it in your life. You're their sermon. You're their message. They're going to see it. And so tonight, here's what we're going to do. This is the last service. It's the last invitation of this crusade. Maybe it's the last invitation ever. Maybe the, maybe the Lord's coming back here in a few moments. Wouldn't that be great? I want you to get one person on your heart. One person right now. Maybe two. At the most three. I don't want you to get 30 or 40 people right now because that will blow your mind. I want you to get one person. How many would say, Tim, if you, I'm not going to, but you say, Tim, if you ask me to name one person that I am so burdened about and I don't want them to go to hell and I want God to use me to help bring them to Jesus, I've got that one person right now. Let me see your hands. Hold them up. Wow. You can take them down. So while I'm praying out loud, I want you to call that name in your heart to the Lord. I want you to just tell God in your own words. You don't have to use fancy words. God's not impressed with big words anyhow. Just tell him in your own words, God, uh, I've got this person. Then name them out loud uh, in your heart to the Lord. And God, I want you to use me. Father, thank you. Thank you for these that said yes to Jesus tonight. Their lives will never, ever, ever be the same. And Lord, Give them the courage to step out and say, I said yes to Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus the rest of the days of my life. I'm going to be baptized. I want to be a disciple of his. I want to learn about Jesus. And then, Lord, for these so many people tonight, so many hands raised saying, I've got that one person, maybe two, maybe three. Lord, we're so burdened tonight. we got family and friends. We do not want them to go to hell. We want them to be saved. We want them to know our Jesus, the Jesus of this Bible, the one who died and the one who arose again. Let this be a watermark night in the life of Ten Mile Baptist Church and other churches that are represented here tonight. Let this be a watermark night. And we look back in months or maybe a year or two, if, if the Lord tarries his coming, we say God started something there that last night, a revival in my heart and in my life. And Lord, may many, many, many people come to Jesus in the next few weeks and months. Help us to go out in the fields that are white under harvest and bring them in. Lord, we love you. We thank you for saving us. We know we deserve hell. Every one of us deserve hell tonight. But you loved us. And you forgave us our sins. And you made us your child. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And for the victories that's been won. 
In Jesus' name I pray. You can make your way back to your seat. Let's give the Lord a big hand as we're getting back to our seat tonight and tell the Lord we're happy. You can be seated for just one brief moment. I'm not going to take long, I promise you. Those of you that prayed with me to receive Christ, find a piece of paper. Ask a friend or someone around you for a piece of paper. Write your name, your address, your phone number, and email them. Be sure and write the word saved. And then bring it back to me when we're through here in just a few moments. Pastor, I want to thank you again for letting me come back uh, to Ten Mile Baptist Church. I would never, ever take for granted the opportunity, the privilege to preach in another man's pulpit. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. Always great to see family and friends. Thank you for letting me be back. God bless you. We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon, and we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life, or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.